It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everybody i hope you had a fabulous thanksgiving and you are on your way to a dynamite holiday weekend so great to be able to chat with you on my blessings what i am thankful for part two but first i want to tell you that this show is brought to you in part by new works plumbing of sacramento have a plumbing need plumbing repair just go to newworksplumbing.com n-e-w-w-r-x-plumbing.com new works plumbing they've got a fix for you. And remember, they're available around the clock. So if you should happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. New Works will be there with their 24-7 service. Again, for your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X-plumbing.com. On my last podcast, I, I talked a lot about my dad. I talked about my upbringing, being around sports all the time, uh, living out some dreams, but you can't really get by in life. You certainly can't get by in a successful career without the help of others. You don't do it by yourself, all right? I don't know of anyone that does it by themselves, whether you are the best salesman in the world or you're the best athlete in the world, whatever the case may be, uh, you need help along the way. And you never really know when you meet an individual whether or not that person will have an impact on your life. And There are several people outside of my immediate family who have clearly shaped my life to where it is today. I grew up in Syosset, New York, on Long Island. I played high school football and high school lacrosse. I played hockey all the time. I played pickup basketball all the time. I mean, I was always playing sports, and if I wasn't playing sports, I was watching sports or I was at a game with my father. I've talked about how we had season tickets growing up of both the Jets and the Giants. And my dad was always taking us to college games. We went to New York Ranger games on Sunday afternoons. We went to just about every type of game you could go to other than the Knicks because you just could not get tickets to go see the New York Knicks. But uh, I was a really, really good lacrosse player and uh, I had a couple of uh, opportunities to play at uh, some top schools. Uh, I was recruited by Syracuse. I was recruited by some of the schools in Maryland. Uh, I almost went to Towson State. But ultimately, uh, I decided to go to Bowling Green. And when I made my visit out to Bowling Green uh, in the spring uh, 
1977, I realized before I got back on the plane to fly home that that's where I was going to go to school. I had the best time uh, getting out there on a Friday, and uh, the lacrosse coach, Jim Plant, uh, put me up in the uh, uh, fraternity house where a lot of the lacrosse players were members, Phi Delts, and I had one of the best weekends up to that point of my life. I mean, it was phenomenal, and uh, I remember them asking me if I wanted to go watch the hockey game that night, and I was like, hockey? I go, Bowling Green's got a hockey team? Like, I hadn't even done any research, you know, before I went to Bowling Green about that. And they were playing Ohio State, and not only did Bowling Green have a hockey team, but they were a nationally ranked hockey team. And several of the players that I went and watched that night ended up going to the National Hockey League the following year, including their goalie, Mike Layout, who went to the St. Louis Blues and was a uh, phenomenal, phenomenal player in the National Hockey League. Uh, they had Byron Shutt, the brother of the great goal scorer for the Montreal Canadiens, Steve Shutt. And they had several other players from that particular team that I watched that night that went on and played in the National Hockey League. And we stood up right behind the glass, and I was just hooked. And then we went to the game the next night because there's always a two-game series on Friday and Saturday night. And, and I was hooked. I knew right then and there that that's where I was going to go to college. I love hockey. I love the atmosphere. I loved everything about Bowling Green. And I had a phenomenal time. And I was blessed that I had really at an early age knew what I wanted to do. I knew in grade school that this is something that I wanted to do, be a sportscaster. And I was always playing games and announcing them at the same time. I would, when I got to junior high school, I would record the Knicks and the Rangers on my little cassette recorder. And then I would bring uh, the little, I was a little white cassette recorder and I would bring it into school the next morning. And during homeroom, me and my buddies would listen to the highlights that uh, I had written down based on the counter on the cassette. So, you know, if this goal was at, you know, 321, I would fast forward to 321. We listen to Marv Albert call the goal. If it was the Knicks on a great play, I would, you know, I and, and I did that. And I used to listen to Marv all the time. And Marv was also the uh, sports anchor at WNBC TV Channel 4 uh, in New York. And uh, he pretty much did it all in New York. As a matter of fact, it's amazing how many people uh, are currently professional broadcasters because of the impact that they had growing up in New York and listening to Marv Albert. But I got to Bowling Green, and as a freshman, uh, because of the experience, I walked into the campus station, WBGU, and right away, uh, they were pretty blown away at the ability I had to talk sports and eventually do some play-by-play my freshman year, which really did not happen that lot uh, or that much because, you know, it was based on seniority where the juniors and the seniors uh, got a chance to do it. But my freshman year... Uh, I got a chance to announce a Bowling Green football game uh, and a Bowling Green hockey game. And I, I think a little bit of a basketball game, but I can't recall. But I do remember doing the football uh, and the hockey. And I met the broadcast team next to me. Uh, Glenn Cerny was his name at WKIQ Radio. That was uh, one of the two FM commercial stations in Bowling Green that carried Bowling Green sports. Uh, WKIQ did the football, the basketball, and the hockey they were not the official station of Bowling Green football. The other station uh, in the market was, but they were still allowed to do uh, the football games. But anyway, uh, whenever I was uh, in the broadcast booth uh, as a freshman, 
uh, I would always see Glenn Cerny because he was broadcasting a couple of ro- uh, seats down from me, uh, whether it was basketball, uh, whether it was hockey. And uh, I, I got to talk to Glenn, and Glenn was from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and uh, was the owner of WKIQ. And I got to know Glenn pretty well in my first two years. And then in my uh, third year, you know, I talked to him about doing an internship, and he said, absolutely. And I did all the paperwork, and I fortunately got a chance to do an internship at WKIQ. And that was the beginning of my life-changing experience because Glenn believed in hands-on. And Glenn gave me a twice-weekly 15-minute sports magazine type of show that I would produce, I would edit, and I would host. And I would go down to the station and I would decide what I wanted to put on a show and whether I needed an interview and, you know, learn how to edit, which, you know, I had learned in one of my classes at Bowling Green. But then, you know, some of the folks at WKIQ also taught me. I mean, back then it was pretty antiquated. You put the uh, tape in a, a, a device and you took a razor blade and you spliced in a diagonal way and then you put tape on it. And that's how you edited your work. That's how you put stuff together. And it was a tremendous learning experience for me. And then in my junior year, uh, Glenn's wife, Sue, uh, they were giving birth to their second child. And Glenn had to cut back his hockey. He loved doing the hockey. And he did all the hockey games. But uh, he said, uh, listen, uh, I'm going to send you on the road this weekend uh, because I need to be here for my wife. He said, are you up to it? I said, 100%. And I'll never forget on Thursday, uh, Thursday morning, going to WKIQ because the bus left, I think, uh, at about 11 in the morning. It was a 10-hour ride from Bowling Green to Marquette, Michigan. And I've always talked about this. I went into the studio, put together uh, in the equipment box, you know, all the equipment that I needed. And I double-checked it. I triple-checked it. I went over it, and I went over it. You had to have a telephone. You had to have the proper cable, uh, a spare headset. You know, a recorder, make sure that the batteries were new, had backup batteries. I mean, I had everything. And I I mean, I went over and over and over so that I knew that when I got to Marquette, Michigan, that I had everything ready to roll. And one of the things about doing college hockey, you know the players on your team, but you would memorize name to number. And so I remember sitting on the bus and I had these little uh, index cards and I would write down a number and then on the back of it, the name. And I remembered name to number. So that when the game started on Friday, as soon as I saw number 14 from Northern Michigan, I knew exactly who it was. I didn't have to look down. Now, the one thing about college hockey, nobody in Bowling Green would have known who number 14 was for Northern Michigan University. And if I forgot a name, and it happened occasionally, but not much. I mean, it really didn't. I was very good at memorizing names to number. Then I would just make up a name instead of pausing because nobody that was listening back at Bowling Green would have known. But that didn't happen very often. But if I forgot a name in the middle of a play, I would just make up a name. But I remember doing my first game where I did the pregame show, the coaches interview. Uh, I did the first period. I did in-between period, the second period, in-between period, third period, and the postgame show. And I started doing a lot of the hockey games. Uh, People in Bowling Green raved at my hockey play-by-play, and they wanted me to do more games. And with Glenn uh, having the responsibilities at home to help out Sue, uh, he didn't have the ability nor the desire at that point in time to do the road games because they were long trips. 
And I got a chance to do my junior year in college a lot of the road games for Bowling Green. And that was a huge turning point in my career to get that type of experience. Fast forward, I did another internship. I don't even know if I got credit for it, but I went and uh, volunteered my time my senior year. And again, it, I pretty much was in the fall and in the winter. And then when lacrosse started, that took a lot of my time. But I was always, you could always find me at the radio station doing all kinds of things. And then when I graduated in 1981, uh, I went to work full-time for Glenn. And I'll never forget the first time I went into his office to get my paycheck. He would actually fill out the check in front of you with the little stub telling you how much you uh, got in taxes. I was the morning disc jockey. So I used to get to work at 5.30 in the morning. And then I would do the morning disc jockey. Then I was an account executive. And then I would do play-by-play of whatever was going on. Glenn did some of the games. We had a guy that did the football games. But I did mostly hockey. Did some basketball, but not a lot. But I'll never forget when Glenn wrote out my first check for uh, my first two weeks. And it was, my take-home pay was $226. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, I didn't even really think anything of it. I'm like, whatever, you know, um, $226. That's what I got paid every two weeks at WKIQ. And if I if I sold some radio advertising, I could make a small commission. But, you know, again, I was living my dream. I was doing Division One sports. I was on the radio. Uh, I had a job. And Glenn Cerny was, without question, one of the most important figures in my broadcasting career, particularly at such an early age, to give me my own radio show twice a week, to allow me to do a Division One powerhouse in hockey where I have met so many folks. I've talked a lot about George McPhee, who's the president of hockey operations for Vegas. He put that whole team together. George is truly one of my best friends in life. George was the star of Bowling Green Hockey. He was the co-captain along with Brian McClellan. Mac is now the GM of the Washington Capitals. Mac won a Stanley Cup as a player and as a GM. George just got his name put on the cup when Vegas won the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing to, you know, go through everything and look back at some of the people I met. Ken Morrow won four Stanley Cups, was on the Miracle on Ice team in 1980. Mark Wells, 1980 Miracle on Ice. You know, I was friends with both of those guys, travel with both of those guys, and I watched the Miracle on Ice and know two of the players playing on that was pretty remarkable. And then, of course, Ken went on and won uh, four Stanley Cups. Well, uh, during that time, and again, I owe so much to Glenn Cerny. I'm so grateful and I'm so blessed that my paths crossed with Glenn because he really got my career started for me. Uh, but it was not that long after I had started my full-time job at WKIQ that it was about a year later that Glenn sold the station to a Spanish company and they changed format and Glenn and his wife actually moved out of Bowling Green and moved to New Mexico and during that time I had run into a sports director Jim Tishy, who was the second person during this period of time that really changed my my life in Northwest Ohio and, I, and I'll get to that in a moment. But in 1982, in December, Bowling Green made it to the California Bowl against Fresno State. And I was working at WKIQ. 
and we carried the football games, but they did not allow us to broadcast the California Bowl because we were not, quote, unquote, the official football station. And so our station was not allowed to broadcast the California Bowl in Fresno between Bowling Green and Fresno State. I've, I've shared this story before that my dad's mixed doubles tennis partner at the Huntington Racquet Club in Long Island, her husband was Vic Piano the uh, owner of the Mislu Sports Network. The Mislu Sports Network was really ESPN before ESPN became prominent. And they did a lot of the bowl games, including the California Bowl. And he had always told my dad, listen, if there's anything we can do for Grant, you know, please let me know. Well, I ended up calling up Vic Piano, told him Bowling Green's playing in the California Bowl. He gave me the number of the executive producer, Bill Schwing. Uh, I called Bill, talked to him for a couple minutes, and he said, well, we're having a production meeting. Friday night at this hotel in Fresno, show up to the meeting. So I'm like, okay. And, you know, I'm making $226 every two weeks. And I borrowed the money from my dad to buy an airplane ticket. I had never been to California. And there I am walking into the hotel on Friday night. And I'm in this meeting room with a whole bunch of other people. And I'm just sitting there and observing. The meeting ends. And Bill Schwing looks at me and he goes, I'm sorry, who are you again? I said, I'm Grant Napier. I called you. He, oh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, wh- you know, I'm a little confused. What is it that you uh, are trying to do? I said, hey, I'm just here. And if there's anything I can do, if there's anything you need, I'm available. And he said, you know, this is national television, right? I said, yes, I do. He said, you know, well, actually, I am. I would like somebody to do the halftime show. I'd like to give my talent a break at halftime. But, you know, I just can't let you on the air. I've never seen your work. I don't know anything about you. And, you know, I'm running a show on national TV. And it's a, I said, I completely understand. I, I would never want to embarrass you. If I'm not good enough to go on your network, then no hard feelings. And he said, okay, come to the stadium three hours before the game. And I'm going to give you an audition. And if your audition is good, I'll let you do the halftime show. So I show up to the stadium at 3.30. I was supposed to be there at 4. Game started at 7 o'clock. And they had all kinds of technical difficulties, and I didn't get a chance to do my audition. And I'm hanging out in the broadcast booth. Howard David, who went on and was the uh, longtime voice of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Nets and did a uh, Monday Night Football for Westwood One, he was the man doing the play-by-play. And I can't remember who the analyst was, but I'm in the broadcast booth and the first quarter comes and the first quarter ends and then the second quarter begins and the second quarter's halfway through. And I asked the stage manager, I said, hey, can you please ask, you know, uh, Mr. Piano if I'm going to be doing the halftime? And I'm not exaggerating. There was like three or four minutes left in the half. And she comes over to me and she says, you're doing the halftime. Uh, He wants you to interview the commissioner and then you're going to just do some uh, highlights and stats. I said, okay. Now, I've never been on national TV before, and I've shared this story before, so forgive me if uh, I'm being redundant if you've heard this story before, but I'd never been on TV in my life, but I've always made believe I was on TV. I've always practiced in my room as if I were on TV, and I was nervous, but I wasn't nervous because I didn't think I could do the job. I was nervous with adrenaline. So I did the halftime show, and the game goes on, and at the end of the game, I'm walking out of the stadium, and I just happen to be walking by the TV truck, and as I'm walking by, Bill Schwing comes out of the TV truck. He goes, Grant! He goes, oh, my God! And he's raising his voice. He goes, you almost gave me a f and a heart attack in there he goes but you did a great job and i wish you the best of luck in your career but man i was so nervous when you were on the air and i said well you weren't as nervous as i was and he laughed and that was it i said hey thank you very much for this opportunity and again he wished me the best of luck in my career well i get back to bowling green 
And a couple of months later, I run into Jim Tishy, the name I had mentioned a couple of moments ago, who is the sports director at WDHO, the ABC station in Toledo, Ohio. And he goes, I didn't know you did TV. I said, I didn't know either. And he goes, well, listen, uh, I have six weeks off this summer and the weekend sports guys fill in for me and I need someone to fill in on the weekends. Would you be interested in coming up and doing an audition? And I said, yeah, absolutely. It's 20 minutes from Bowling Green. And during this whole time, uh, the radio station had been sold and I was planning on moving back to Long Island and live at home until I could get a job. And I went in June 18th, all right? June 18th, my birthday, 1983. I walk into the TV station. I meet the news director, and he said, hey, here are, here are some scripts. Just write a couple of things out, and we'll bring you into the studio. Well, that was my first issue because I, I, don't, I, don't, I never use scripts, you know, but I'm thinking, okay, well, I better use scripts here. So I wrote, you know, in the, the large uh, teletype that you use for the teleprompter, and I get into the TV studio, and I've never been in a TV studio before. First time I'd ever been in a television TV studio, all right? And I'm looking around, and they got these big cameras, and all these lights are shining on me. And he said, okay, you see that pedal on the ground? I said, yeah. He said, that's how you run your teleprompter. And I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, it was like a foot pedal on an old sewing machine, right? You tap the pedal, and that's how your script ran along the teleprompter. So I did my audition. It was about five minutes. And I get done, and the news director says, would you like to do that again? And I said, well, you don't get a chance to do it again when you're live, do you? He said, no, you don't. I said, then I'm good. I got a call the next day from Jim Tishy saying, hey, the news director liked your work and uh, we would like to use you, but we can't pay you a lot of money. Uh, we're only going to be able to pay you $5 an hour. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Like, I care about how much you're going to pay me. I'm going to be able to go on TV. So I used to fill in for Mike Regai, who left Toledo a couple of months later and got a job in Cleveland. And Michael became the uh, voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers and uh, the TV voice of the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, that's how good and how talented Michael was. And But during that time, uh, I was in New York, and Mike would call me up sometimes on a Thursday night and go, Napes, can you work this weekend? And I'm like, yep. And I'd get in my little Subaru hatchback with no air conditioning, and I would drive 10 hours. I would stay at Glenn's house in Bowling Green. I would do the sports for five minutes on Saturday night, five minutes on Sunday night, and then get in my car Monday morning and drive back to New York. And during that time, I was covering the Toledo Mud Hens. I'd go out and shoot highlights. They had Kirby Puckett. They had Tim Tuffle, Gary Gaetti. I mean, that team went on and won the World Series for the Twins. That's when I met Sparky Anderson. I always tell the story about going to Tiger Stadium when the Tigers started off 35-5, and and I was there on a Sunday, national TV, and had a story all done. And I remember, you know, walking by Sparky Anderson's office. I couldn't get in. Then after I interviewed Alan Trammell and a couple of other guys, Lance Parrish, I'm walking out nobody's in Sparky's office I knock on the door he is gracious comes in could not have been nicer and I I had an amazing experience you know being there for the Detroit Tigers and then I was able to get a resume tape and I was able to send it out so to this point Glenn Cerny Vic Piano and Jim Tishy had altered my entire life they had completely paved the path that I would be on because without Glenn, I don't get that division one experience without Vic Piano. I never get an opportunity to go on TV. If I'm not on TV, Jim Tishy doesn't come up to me and go, I didn't know you did TV. Then I get the audition. I do well on the audition. Boom. I'm on the air doing sports 
And I did that for a couple of months until I could get a resume tape. And I was living the summer of 1984, it would have been, right? 1984. I'm living with George McPhee in Bowling Green in the summer, and I'm helping him train, getting ready for the upcoming New York Rangers season. He had this big manual of all the things that he was supposed to do. And George and I would get up every morning at 6 o'clock, and we'd find ourselves out at the football stadium at Bowling Green, and we had access to the weight room. And George had to do all of these things on the track with a weighted vest, and he had to be timed. So I would time him, and I would encourage him, and then we both would, you know, do weights, all kinds of weights. You know, we would spot each other. And I got I got in the best shape I had ever been in. George had me on this strict diet, and, I mean, it was like that's what we did. And it, it was a phenomenal uh, period of my time. And then I sent tapes out. And what I would do is I would send a resume tape out. And about five days later, I would do a cold call to the station and ask to speak to the news director. Sometimes you could get through to the news director. Sometimes you couldn't. And I sent one tape out, one tape out to a town I had never heard of, Decatur, Illinois, which was the 73rd largest TV market in the country with Springfield, Illinois, and Champaign. And I remember, you know, uh, calling the TV station. Uh, and they answer, W-A-N-D-T-V, uh, Dick Westbrook, please, hold on. And all of a sudden, Westbrook here. I go, Mr. Westbrook, how are you? My name is Grant Napier. He goes, Grant, I just looked at your tape. I just finished looking at your tape. Uh, my weekend guy just handed in his notice, and I need someone. Would you be able to come out for an interview? I said, I sure can. I came out for an interview uh, that Monday, and... Drove back. It wasn't that long of a drive from Bowling Green to Decatur, I want to say. And again, I'm guessing here, so don't, don't kill me if I get it wrong. Maybe five hours, maybe maybe five and a half hours. Not that long. And I accepted the job at Decatur, Illinois, as a weekend sports anchor and a weekday news photographer because it wasn't a full-time sports position. So during the week, I would have to go out with my news, uh, with my camera, and I'd have to do all these stories. But I had learned how to use the news camera at Toledo, and I felt very comfortable doing that. And then about six months after I was there, I became a full-time sports guy. My starting salary in 1984 at WAND TV in Decatur, Illinois, was $12,300. And I look at Dick Westbrook, the fact that he hired me literally almost on the spot from my telephone call, And it was almost three years to the day that I took off the weekend to attend a friend's wedding in Decatur. And here's the other gentleman that turned my entire life around that is just an incredible set of circumstances. I'm at this wedding, and this guy comes up to me in this beautiful suit. Grant Napier. I said, yes. He goes, I know who you are. You don't know who I am. My name is Barry Baker. I'm the vice president of Coppler Communications in St. Louis, We own a station in St. Louis, and we own a station in Sacramento, and we have a sports opening in Sacramento. Are you interested? I said, I sure am. He goes, send your tape Monday and tell them that I told you to send it. I send my tape out on Monday, and a couple days later, I call, and they're very interested. They fly me out on Monday. I accept the job at Channel 31 in Sacramento, sports director, Monday through Friday, for $25,000 a year. Thinking 25000 hell, I was only making with overtime, you know, 15, 15 and a half. And I'm getting out of Illinois and I'm going to California. I was the happiest guy in the world. And I was just getting ready to start my vacation. So I went to Dick and I said, Dick, you know, I, I, he goes, I'll tell you what, Grant. He goes, if you want to work until Friday, 
make it your last day. I'll just pay you for your vacation, and that way you can get going. I said, Dick, man, that is so nice of you, but I don't mind working for two weeks even if you don't pay me. He goes, no, you've been great. I'm happy to do this for you. And I packed all my stuff up, which didn't take long because I didn't have a lot of stuff. And I, you know, got my apartment in order and I got in my car on a Friday or whatever day it was. And I drove three days through the, the, the worst heat wave of the summer with no air conditioning. And I arrived in Sacramento in, I want to say the third week of July, 1987. Then the final guy that I'm so thankful for and blessed is Elliot Trushinsky, who was an incredible figure and great friend still to this day in my life. And I was working as the sports director at Channel 31. And I'll never forget this. On Christmas Eve, I went in to the general manager's office to wish the general manager a Merry Christmas. His name was Bill Walsh. Not the football coach, but Bill Walsh. Bill had hired me. Bill's not there. And there's this very fit man, very short hair. I said, oh, I'm sorry. He goes, no, come on in. He goes, I'm Elias Trushinsky. I'm the new general manager. I go, oh, I'm Grant Napier. He goes, I know who you are. Sit down. And we talked, and we talked. And he was from Miami. He, his wife and kids were staying there to finish up the school year. He was uh, the general manager at a TV station there. He was from Philadelphia, big Eagles fan, big Philly sports fan. And we hit it off, and we actually started going out at night, you know, to, to hang out. And it was a couple of months later, and he called me into his office. And he said, hey, have you ever done basketball play-by-play before? I said, yeah, why? I, well, I think I said, yeah, since second grade. He goes, no, this is, I'm very serious. Have you done basketball play-by-play? I said, I am being serious. I've been announcing basketball since I was sec- in second grade. He goes, well, listen, he goes, we're trying to win the Sacramento Kings contract to televise the games. And if we do, I would like you to do the game, but it's not up to us. It's up to the Kings. Well, I've always shared the story that during that holiday season, I had sent a handwritten note to Joe Axelson, the general manager of the Kings, thanking him for how great Julie Fye, the PR director, was and how great the atmosphere was. And I said, I really hope the people of Sacramento realize how lucky they are to have this type of an environment because I had just come from the Big Ten. I had covered Illinois with Lou Henson and, you know, the Big Ten environment, Bobby Knight. You know, you had Bill Frieder at Michigan. I mean, you know, it was big-time basketball, and the environment was through the freaking roof. And I remember, you know, saying that in my note. And then when Elliot called me back in the office and he said, hey, we won the rights to do the Kings for three years. We're having a meeting next week and I'm going to ask them, you know, if you can do the games. And then the following week, Elliot called me into the office and I'll never forget this because I don't know what it is about you, but the Kings love you. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the Kings don't even know who the hell I am. I'm working on an uncharted TV station and nobody watched. Our news ratings were near invisible. Okay, we had one newscast tonight at 9 o'clock. I used to go out at night. Nobody would recognize me. Nobody knew who I was. And I, to this day, really believe in my heart that had I not written that note to Joe Axelson, I probably would not have gotten a play-by-play job. But Elliot said, congratulations. I don't know what it is about you, but the Kings love you. And you're the new TV announcer for the Sacramento Kings. And I can't even begin to tell you what that moment was like for me. Uh, The first thing I did was go to the uh, newsroom and uh, call my dad. And we both broke down on the phone. Like that was the most memorable, uh, incredible phone conversation I've ever had with another person in my life. I I could barely talk. Uh, He could barely talk. And then on my last podcast, I shared about or I, I told you about sharing the experiences with him 
on the King's Airplane in, in several cities. But, you know, I am so thankful and I'm so blessed that along the way, Glenn Cerny, other than my father, was instrumental in my development to where I am today. Vic Piano giving me my really first big break in this business. First time on TV, national TV. Jim Tishy, sports director, WDHO, ABC TV station in Toledo, Ohio, allowing me to come up and do an audition, right? And then Barry Baker coming up to me at the wedding and saying, send your tape out and tell them I said to send it. And then Elias Drushinsky. Now, I would also say this, and I always tell this to young people. I firmly believe that if you work hard enough, your opportunity is going to come. You're not going to be handed anything on a silver platter. And if you are, you must take that silver platter and make it into a gold platter. You have to improve it. So when you get your opportunity, you need to be ready to roll. I was always ready to go. Always. I've been practicing broadcasting my whole life, whether it was on the schoolyard playground, all right? Whether it was turning the volume down on a TV, whether it was listening to Marv and listening to Phil Rizzuto and Frank Messer and Bill White and listening to Jim Gordon, the voice of the Rangers, or listening to Marty Glickman, the voice of the Giants, and then later on, Jim Gordon. Like, I studied all of these people, and I listened to them. I, I not only listened to the game, I listened to how they called the game. I listened to nuances, right? I listened to Marv Albert. I sent my tape to Marv, and he got back to me and gave me some tips after listening to my tape when I was still in high school. You know, all of these things along the way have been immeasurable to where I am today. 32 years in the NBA, five years preseason TV Raiders, TV play-by-play San Jose Sharks, Division I football, Division I basketball, Division I hockey, radio show nationally on ESPN with Tony Bruno and Chuck Wilson, Joe D'Ambrosio three weekends every month, filling in for Jim Rome. I'm blessed. I look back at my career and I'm blessed and I'm thankful Okay, And I don't ever take it for granted. I never used to take it for granted. And I would have never been able to get this far without you being in my corner day in and day out for all of the years that we shared in Sacramento. 26 years on the radio show, going back and forth, sometimes contentious, all right? Going through peaks and valleys, going through deaths, going through tragedies, going through euphoria, going through all kinds of emotions, that you can share both as a sports fan and as a person. You know, having Positive Dave call me up every day and me giving him a hard time and then having him pass away as one of the great all-time Kings fans in history. You know, going through experiences like that have shaped my life to who I am today. And the reason why I do my podcast and the reason why I still go on If You Don't Like That and do my Kings shows with Ryan and my listen app shows and everything else is because I have a bond with you and I know you have a bond with me and I never want that bond to be broken. I never want it to be separated. And so in my mind, I will continue to do this for as long as I'm able and as long as I'm willing to do it. I still have the drive. I still have the passion. I love helping out young broadcasters. I've done so. I will always continue to do so. I think you got to pay it forward. You got to give back. You always have to be available to answer questions. You always have to be available to speak at rotaries and schools. I mean, that's all part of the business. But the biggest part of the business is the connection with the fans. And I've always said this. When you go out of your house, if you don't want to be 
bothered by the fans. And bothered's not the right word because fans very rarely bother me. But if you don't want to spend the time with the fans, then don't go out of your house. If you're going to go to the supermarket, if you're going to go to the restaurant, if you're going to take a walk down the street, whatever you're going to do, you need to make time for the fans. Because that fan may be your biggest fan. All right? And if you're not nice to them, if you don't give them time, then they tell their family members and they tell their friends. And all of a sudden, one person who you may have been rude to ends up being 500. And I never wanted to be that. Plus, I genuinely enjoy talking to the fans anyway. You know, my wife always used to kid me. You know, we'd be at the supermarket and I'd have people come up to me all the time. And she said to me one day, she said, you know, I could be standing here naked, absolutely naked next to you and nobody would even notice me. And I'm like, I started laughing. I go, I'm sorry. I go, you know, I mean, really, some people would literally just come up to me when I was with my wife and start talking to me and they wouldn't even look at her. They wouldn't even acknowledge that I had a person next to me out in a public place. It happened all the time, and I used to get a kick out of that, but she was very understanding, and uh, but she used to make fun of it all the time. I could be sitting here freaking naked, and nobody would even come up and say hello to me. And I, I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. But on that note, I'm going to wrap up this podcast, and I just want to say again, thank you very much. I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous holiday weekend, and I also want to tell you we're brought to you in part by Bennett's Westside Grill, their newest restaurant at the Blue Oaks Town Center in Rockland. Go to Bennett's Restaurants, make a reservation, check out their menu. Don't forget about their weekend brunch, their weekend prime rib. That's Bennett'sRestaurants.com. Thank you very much, everyone. You're the freaking best. So long. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.